Um, we'll go ahead and get started on this morning's session. Uh, welcome to the Federal Society panel on uh, telecommunications issues and federalism. Later on, we'll have two very distinguished panels, one on video franchising and the second exploring the proper role of public utility commissions. But to, and, and let me say, this couldn't be more timely. I want to thank David Ray and, and Dean Reuter and the Federalist Society for putting this conference on. Video franchising reform is the current topic both in the House and the Senate. Um, the House Energy and Commerce Committee passed their bill last week. They'll probably bring it to the floor in the next couple weeks. Senator Stevens dropped his bill on Monday, both of which deal with that issue and, and wrestle with how much preemption there should be and what should be the proper roles of the state. At the state level, um, Texas and Virginia and my home state of Indiana have passed reforms which allow for statewide franchising. Um, a gentleman who's here today told me about Hawaii, that they've had it for a decade or more. Um, so there, there are a handful of states that have taken the lead and, and tried to set a competitive environment for video competition. Um, what's causing all this? It's mainly the convergence of technology, that the old silos of voice and data, video, um, telephone, no longer matter in a digital world. And the regulatory processes are now catching up with those, that change in technology. Today, to lead off on our conference, we've got a good friend and, and a gentleman who's taken the lead on talking about competitiveness issues, a friend of the Federalist Society, and, and as a former governor, someone who is well attuned to the issues of federalism. Um, John Engler is governor of Michigan, and we first met when he was the leader of the Republicans in the state legislature aspiring to be governor, and a mutual friend, Spence Abraham, introduced us and said that John's about to become the next governor of Michigan. And I've followed him closely since then. In fact, when I was first elected to Congress, he came and addressed my freshman class and told us that, you know, the press isn't going to like what you do, but keep doing it, and in the end, the voters will. Um, but he had a tremendous record, changing a $1.8 billion deficit into a $1.2 billion surplus, 32 different tax cuts, uh, one of my favorite parts of his record is he, he appointed and helped encourage men and women to serve on the state Supreme Court so that Michigan now has arguably the finest state Supreme Court in the nation. Today he is a leader of NAM, the National Association of Manufacturers. Um, Fortune has ranked it among Washington's most influential advocacy groups. Um, and he's staked out the issue of telecommunications as something that's critical not only for the tech sector, but critical for manufacturing and our economy generally, because he understands that the country which has the most advanced and competitive environment for this new technology will allow businesses of all sorts to take advantage of greater efficiency and be world leaders. So without further ado, let me introduce uh, the president of NAM, uh, John Engler, former governor of Michigan. David, thank you very much. I, I'm simply delighted to be here this morning and, and on a topic that I think is of, of great importance and great interest to um, American manufacturing. So I, I want to begin by, by thanking you not only for the invitation, but for any, any role you played in the invitation and the Federal Society in particular for once again uh, stepping forward with today's conference on telecommunications. It's it is something that's vital to manufacturing, but uh, it is one of those topics that probably affects our ability to compete 
in a very tough, very competitive global environment in uh, a marketplace really today where U.S. telecommunication capabilities have failed to keep pace uh, with some of our toughest competitors. So what I thought I might do, and for the invitation, outline a little bit of the uh, National Association of Manufacturers perspective on these issues. Uh, but I do want to, David mentioned the, the Supreme Court. I have a little segue. I want to thank the Federal Society uh, in another uh, context as well, because throughout their history, they've been a promoter of very broad, very vigorous, uh, honest, fair-minded debate on very prominent legal and policy issues that, that shape our nation. And uh, I relied on them in Michigan. I not only happen to be a member, but I also uh, reached out to them for candidates for the judiciary in our state courts. And uh, I know the Federal Society sometimes doesn't get a lot of media attention until uh, it's really right in the, uh, you know, the, the firing line, and, and then they're uh, they're dragged in. And, uh, and, and interestingly, uh, you know, sometimes uh, we saw in Michigan the Federals couldn't attack the credentials of the people I appointed, so they attacked them for their membership in the Federal Society, they sort of like belonging to a subversive organization. Nonetheless, uh, I didn't worry too much about that, and uh, as a result, uh, we ended up with some very capable uh, men and women on the Michigan Court, and in particular on our Supreme Court. And I think the Federalist Society needs to stand very strong, really promoting a, a, a deeper understanding of the issues of the day. And um, later this month, I noted that the Federalist Society's got to pack the basics. Uh, conference on intellectual property. That also happens to be an issue that uh, manufacturers care deeply about. Recently, our research arm of the National Association of Manufacturers, our Manufacturing Institute, released a study, Intellectual Property for the Technological Age, and the author of Richard Epstein from the University of Chicago, which is a stalwart member of the Federalist Society, of course. And I, I do want to say we're happy to make that publication available for that conference. It might be uh, good uh, preliminary reading for some of the folks who are going to be attending. It's, it's a marvelously well-done piece of work. Um, we think protecting intellectual property is very essential to encouraging innovation in manufacturing and in other areas. Epstein said in that publication, no one can assume that valuable innovations will pop up magically in the public domain if their inventors receive no reward for their labor and capital. Well, we support innovation at the NAM. We also support innovation and rewards in the telecommunications sector. We think that makes sense. And uh, it's an area where, as I said earlier, the U.S. actually is not kept pace with the rest of the world. Now, how does the United States do better? I think it's one word, competition. Uh, we're working on behalf of policies that foster competition in telecommunications, particularly in the area of broadband, high-speed transmission of uh, data and voice video. And that's what I want to focus a little bit on today. The end consumers, the manufacturers are very much that. Our entire supply chain is, is very much that. Uh, stand to benefit greatly from a vigorous battle in the marketplace among uh, all the providers, so be they wire, cable, wireless, satellite, uh, anybody who can offer on-demand uh, uh, very high-speed uh, internet access, certainly on-demand television programming, uh, telephone, uh, and an array of digital services today, which uh, which really continues to, to expand in, in complexity and, uh, and in functionality for uh, modern uh, usage. 
lack of investment clearly is one of the reasons that gets cited uh, uh, as to why the United States, which is historically been a leader, fact, developed much of the technology, why we've, we've fallen back. Uh, the latest data that I saw indicates we now stand 16th in the world in per capita subscribers to broadband. Now it's down from fifth place uh, in the year 2000. When I was still governor, I talked about you know, our falling out of the number one spot in the world, and uh, uh, not only have we fallen out, but we continue to fall now further out of the top 10 at risk of falling out of the top 20. Other companies are moving at a rapid pace while we trudge ahead, uh, making some progress for sure, but uh, again, rate of progress matters when you're in a fast-paced, highly competitive world. According to an annual report just released uh, last week by The Economist, uh, collaboration from IBM, the digital divide between the developed and the developing uh, countries has narrowed. Uh, you've got within China and India, some regions, certainly Bangalore would be one that comes to mind, India, Shanghai region in China, have almost the same level of internet and mobile phone connections as developed countries. In fact, uh, some of our members claim you drop fewer calls uh, over there than you do here. Uh, but. Uh, they're already benefiting from low labor costs. Increasingly, uh, uh, they may be benefiting from energy advantages, but uh, their advances in telecommunications help to make them much more competitive. And a lagging U.S. Uh, has some pretty far-reaching implications for manufacturing. Some years back, we did a cost study and said the structural disadvantage of the U.S. location versus some of these other locations in countries vigorously, I'm not throwing China into this mix as much as I am, even some of the European countries, pretty significant telecommunications wasn't actually measured in that uh, structural cost study, but when we throw that in, it's just one more um, burden. Our membership includes actually major carriers as well as hundreds of members who make telecommunications, so we've got pretty much the entire uh, production line, if you will, or supply chain for the telecommunication industry. Every one of our members today depends every day on telecommunication services. And that's become an integral part of all stages of manufacturing, from design to production to shipping to marketing. And you, you cannot have just-in-time manufacturing today with uh, invoices and inventory systems, supply chain, logistics that are spread over, in many cases, continents, multiple continents, and uh, unless they can communicate to one another immediately without interruption and virtually around the clock. I was in uh, Montgomery, Alabama on Tuesday last week in a Hyundai plant, and uh, rather remarkable to see the technology on display there. Not a single human makes a weld on this car, all run by robots. Uh, uh, probably the coolest thing is not the most difficult task, but the robot that put the spare tire in the trunk, and then once placing the tire in the trunk, gently closes the, the trunk door. <laughs> down. But in this plant, uh, which is obviously owned by a Korean parent, I mean, they're online with a research facility, one in emerging, one in Michigan on technical support, uh, a marketing center and headquartered out in California, parent company in Korea. All of this stuff kind of being done on a real-time basis. All of it because of technology. Design uh, on a one production line running a, a SUV and a sedan, the Sonoma and the uh, new Santa Fe product coming down the line, different colors, 
all of this coordinated so that when the robot picks up the dash and puts it in, it's for the right vehicle, it's the right color. I mean, it's in all of this. Uh, so you can imagine that supply chain, how it reaches out and touches all of these major suppliers that they have, which all of these cases where they're complicated, some we've run into the hundreds, all needing to be done uh, virtually on, on, in real time. Uh, and as you know, in summary, we're making the point that might be able to, to, to just customize your order. I mean, right down to some of that already. But, uh, I'll ever go that way. But I mean, there's just a need for this. But this is spreading through all of manufacturing globally. And so who can who can support this, who can perform? Um, and uh, it, it matters very much. Geography and population, there's no question that, that the densities uh, of those uh, factors, they play a big role in deployment. Uh, sort of easier to connect, uh, say, to South Korea or for an obvious example, Hong Kong, uh, that is a country that spans an entire continent. But I, but saying that, I, I brought an article along because I, I think we need to recognize the urgency of this task that lies ahead. And I brought an example that um, I just thought I'd share with you because I think it, it, it maybe is one way that you can communicate to Congress on this issue, and, and I certainly hope to do this. This was in the Financial Times, but it caught my eye when it said broadband network is the envy of the West. And uh, the case study was Macedonia's transformation from poverty to the forefront of technology. Now, this is what, uh, just a couple of lines out of this, because it's so interesting. Macedonia usually only hits the headlines when ethnic tensions erupt. But this small landlocked nation now wants to project a more positive image as the world's first wireless country. In four years, Macedonia has evolved from being known as one of the poorest countries in Europe to being one of the most technologically advanced. Then goes on to say Macedonia claims to be the first country of its size to have a broadband wireless network covering 95% of its population. The network, based on Motorola technology, uses Wi-Fi hotspots to bring high-speed internet access to schools and villages, while mesh technology is used to blanket urban areas. Uh, and when they thought about doing this, uh, Microsoft had donated some 6,000 licenses for software in 2002. Uh, Somebody had gone to China, they'd gotten grants to equip the schools with Chinese-made computers. Uh, it was even before they bought Lenovo. Uh, then uh, they, they realized uh, this fellow in charge said that he, he didn't know I'd fund this. But he came to see the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID, and, uh, which had been funding projects. So we engaged the Academy for Economic Development, AED, a U.S. nonprofit organization to bring Internet access to Macedonian schools. And by golly, they got this all done. And today, 300,000 children and students benefit free internet access. And USAID recently agreed to expand the project to bring 50 communities, municipalities online in remote rural areas. Now, that's Macedonia. Uh, now, when we talk about the difficulty doing rural areas in America, my theory is if we can get it done in Macedonia through our agencies and nonprofit groups, we ought to be able to get it done in northern Michigan or rural Montana wherever else is difficult to get to in America. That, that is the challenge. And if you're not connected today, we literally have companies that if your community doesn't have high-speed communications, it doesn't have reliable service, you're not allowed to be in that supply chain company itself. I used to use this example back in Michigan. We actually had a supplier in a more remote area, a small town, but they were providing jobs there. 
but they didn't have high-speed access. If they count, they run a dial-up the system. They would literally put things on disk and drive it in order to communicate with the, you know, their tier one supplier that they were supplying to try and sort of pretend that they were they were covered. Uh, so, so you got you got some barriers out there that are physical. But I wanted to talk today about the government barriers because there are government barriers which hinder development, access, and affordability to telecommunication services. And I'm really talking about local franchising laws in particular, which uh, have walled off tens of thousands of communities and companies from effective competition for broadband services. And to enter a market served by a local cable provider under a municipal franchise, new provider uh, in many, many states, they is required to engage in unique, uh, costly, and time-consuming negotiations. To achieve any economy of scale at any level, really, you've got to do it again. you got to do it again. you got to keep doing it again. And you talk about a barrier uh, to competition, a barrier to uh, employment, a choice, that's it. One carrier has a team of 100 lawyers working on local video franchises for the last several years. By the end of 2005, and one approval served 40. 10,000 service areas, so uh, I guess that's a start. But the, you can see that's pretty, pretty rigorous uh, and pretty slow. As former legislator, I, I certainly spent a lot of time uh, being sensitized to and was aware, as David would have been in Indiana, which is a strong local control state. Many states are strong. The value of local control, the ability for a community to decide those things which it can decide for itself at a local level. Uh, and certainly uh, there are there are many of those items. But uh, I think in many cases today the primary local government interest is less policy rooted than it is a uh, rather intense desire to preserve franchise fees. And that uh, that desire is uh, I think at odds sometimes with simply what manufacturing and I believe consumers also need, in terms of being able to be competitive in today's uh, intensely competitive global environment. You had 60s and 70s technology and governing practices which gave us the municipal franchising, but it certainly doesn't take, advantage, take into account how the technology has shifted and how the world has changed in the ensuing period of years. And those decades uh, rendered the uh, so the Lily Tomlin skit of her sitting at the switchboard kind of listening in uh, and a little bit of something way in the past. Now I guess we worry about the NSA, but you know, not that much. Uh, you know. So uh, telecommunications, really what it's meaning for our folks uh, is engineering offices in different states connecting in real time one another as they're designing the latest product uh, for, and you literally can pick the industry uh, it, it can be a student in six different schools and six different classrooms up in uh, rural Montana that's getting the same assignment from the teacher, uh, getting their homework or uh, downloading a tutorial uh, on their math project. And certainly, as I said, it's the managers managing a score of companies that are part of a sophisticated supply chain operating just in time, often in, in parts of some industries, autos, which I'm very familiar with, over an international border, over a or an international bridge, or it could just be catching up on the latest news at the NEM's uh, award-winning blog, www.shopstore.org. Uh, that could be what you're doing. 
but there's no question that the current uh, legal framework uh, no longer is adequate. It doesn't serve the needs of the marketplace. It's a global marketplace. Several states, David mentioned, uh, you know, Indiana, but several states have really stepped forward to pass legislation to create statewide video franchising um, so companies can uh, really go out and figure out a way to get this done a state at a time. And that, to me, is very promising in terms of the results that we can already observe and measure. And it demonstrates the potential, more importantly, it, it almost affirms the proposition that rapid progress is within our grasp if Congress acts on a national franchising law. Texas did this in uh, 2005. The cable company dropped prices for expanded video and internet services in every community where a new competitor entered the market. And that is competition. Uh, studies are pretty clear. Consumers pretty quickly become aware of their expanded options. My mail of any indication, just over in Northern Virginia, uh, there are plenty of options being presented all the time. And I think most consumers can sort of work through it. As irritating as that little guy is from the cable station that I see all the time, he's with my friend in the digital age that I happen to have in my house. Uh, you know, I think we can, work, we can work through this. We can figure it out. Uh, Governor Daniels, as, as David mentioned, signed a law in a state which has had a long tradition of township I mean, they're so local, the township is a key issue, key governmental unit, but they've got a major telecommunication law. Uh, they've got the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission out of the business of regulating broadband and commercial mobile services. Big step forward, and one of the significant things about Indiana is how Daniels is using this. They're the most manufacturing-intensive state. We, used to, uh, we kind of knew that. Michigan kind of boasts about its manufacturing base, but Indiana's slightly higher percentage. But Daniels went to the legislature and argued on the basis of competitive grounds. We need to do this. And uh, that, uh, in contrast to previous debates in the Indiana legislature, passed by wide margins of both their House and Senate. I think the landscape politically is shifting toward reform as people realize and focus on the competitiveness issue. I think there's clear in the Congress to support bipartisan. I think the support is growing, and I think that's for the state level. Certainly, I hope to be, it to be true at the national level. House Energy and Commerce Committee vote for the nationwide franchising language, 41 to 12 vote, pretty impressive, big numbers. Uh, even though there are some jurisdictional issues that are being uh, at least uh, talked about with the Judiciary Committee, as Chairman Barton said yesterday, he still expects the bill to come to a full vote by next week, and I think that's consistent with uh, Leader Boehner's goal to get the House back in the business of passing legislation to try and solve problems. And I certainly applaud that and, and think this is a wonderful one on which uh, we need to start. I think New Energy then followed the day. <laughs> the NAM strongly supports uh, the Communications Opportunity uh, Promotions and Enhancements Act of 2006. We want to see it enacted this year. We think it is on the must-do list. Uh, we're pleased to see that the committee also rejected amendments that would institutionalize the, the concept known as net neutrality. And uh, also, uh, saw that Senator Stevens steered clear of net neutrality when he introduced his uh, telecom bill on Monday of this week. And I think net neutrality is a very interesting uh, public relations term, but it really is code for regulation. We strip it all away regulation 
uh, of traffic flow, regulation of service, regulation of pricing structures, um, regulation of the kind of services, frankly, that broadband companies ought to be able to package in different ways and offer uh, to willing buyers in the marketplace. I think we need to lift barriers to competition, and we do not need to enact new regulations. Once established, we get these regulatory regimes taking root. As one has tried to uproot some of them in the past, they're hard to kill once they get started. Uh, once they exist, there must have been a reason. Uh, people get organized around that. In this town, there might even be a lobby to spring up to defend that. And they're hard. The better approach is to free the consumer and let the investment flow. In a 2004 study, deregulatory policy measures in the broadband area, and the FCC has already been, I think, especially late, enacted many or uh, allowed others to, to evolve, uh, can result in telecom investment by as much as $60 billion over the next half dozen years. Uh, that results certainly in the creation of 100,000 new uh, jobs in, a, in an economy which is already working quite well today and it should, it importantly, add several billions of dollars to the U.S. The GDP. I want to focus today to have on, on broadband the international video franchising. I think it's where we can make a big difference right now with congressional action and something. Uh, and, and this is the time to do this. If you look at the capital markets in this country, Dave, we've never had as much capital sort of ready money out there, ready, looking for places to invest. We're awash in money. And what we need out of Congress in a number of these key policy areas is certain. So we go ahead and make very large bets on the future. And I think once we get the infrastructure in place, the applications will explode. And I would add, again, a couple of other areas that manufacturers worry a lot about. There are two other major benefits from ubiquitous the telecommunication services at very high speeds all over America. Healthcare and education, both are the probably the two to the two twin public expenditures that are trouble. We're, we're not putting in both of those areas massive investments over five hundred and fifty billion dollars in the K twelve system. We need to do a much better job there if we're going to have the workforce we need to be able to compete. Uh, high speed uh, services everywhere helps us with that as does the healthcare system with the massive health IT needs and the transparency that we need in that system. And both of those are somewhat dependent on explosive growth and, and complete deployment of broadband uh, nationwide. At the, F at the FCC, uh, we at NAM have consistently urged the commissioners to remove excessive regulations to hinder uh, broadband deployment. We're going to stay active in that venue. We also support keeping internet-based services unregulated themselves. Uh, we know the U.S. telecommunications uh, network now carries more data than voice traffic and uh, a transition to what may ultimately be an all-protocol network, uh, network all-internet protocol network is well underway. So lots of changes coming. Uh, the Minnesota PSC tried to regulate uh, VoIP uh, with some internet protocol. Uh, try to do that like traditional telephony. Uh, well, I think we we uh, uh, saw the FCC obviously take an opposite approach, uh, saying, look, those are interstate services, not sub-state regulation. The NAM has joined members of the high-tech broadband coalition in defending the FCC ruling in opposition to the Minnesota 
uh, challenge. You know, I've spent a lot of time in state government over the years, a lot more time there than in Washington. But I, I think there are issues, this is one of them, where our American citizens are ill-served by allowing uh, a state-by-state, locality-by-locality over-regulation of the telecommunications system, which is now part of the global telecommunications uh, system. And everybody who's in the global commerce has to be able to take advantage of it. And you've got across town calls from one side of Chicago to the other being routed through California or Florida, or even maybe out of the country, uh, you can't do that in the state regulatory role. There, there's things that the states still can do. Uh, I think states have a role in some of the consumer protections enforcing that. Uh, uh, certainly things like emergency response is something that's very much a, a localized kind of question. Uh, also the local information networks. I mean, but I, I think we can do better than the menu channels on some of the local cable stations, but uh, that's not part of today's talk. Uh, but you could, uh, nonetheless, it seems to me there, there are local roles, but uh, the state really needs to get the regulatory barriers out of the way. When I was governor, one of the last things I got done was actually a state law that we were one of the early adopters where we could do uh, a uniform process in a fee structure for companies that needed to uh, lay cable boundaries. We had what we called internet tolls directed by some communities who needed to get by that. And we finally ended up with a process where you could permit the entire state for 45 days. Uh, we also tried uh, this, this didn't, the take after I left, but uh, we were trying to work with the Broadband Development Authority trying to encourage get faster uh, deployment out in some of the, the rural areas. But we did get a lot of the red tape cut, uh, literally sliced up and tossed out. Uh, and we did improve access. And I think if we look at what has to happen across America, all of this uh, has to help American manufacturers continue to gain the impressive productivity gains that they've enjoyed. That's one of the ways we've been able to hang in there with our 14 plus million jobs in manufacturing. 2005 was a record year global output for manufacturing output for the US. But boy, we need to maintain that high energy prices are adding additional burdens. Let's get this thing dealt with. Uh, my first talk as an NAM president was in October 2004. Went up to the United States Telecom Association and I wanted them to know the NAM was going to be a committed partner. And we remain committed to a competitive environment, one that fosters innovation and investment. We think telecommunications provides uh, a conduit for information that's got to be kept uh, free and open, I think it's the foundation for the future of a healthy and uh, certainly a strong economy. And oh, I think, by the way, a vital public sphere of uh, ideas uh, where groups like the Federal Society can uh, foster through its work and dedicate membership uh, a conversation about the right things that we need in America. So I, I want to thank you for letting me have a chance to come in today and talk about a topic that I'm really passionate about and one that I think is vital our economic interests, and it needs to be judged that way. It's less about which level of government wins what than what our nation needs in terms of its economic interests. And I think there's a set of these issues in front of Congress today that need to be resolved that way for the good of all of our citizens. Thanks for providing the forum. Thank you. Thank you very much, Governor Engler.
Um, the governor's graciously offered to take a couple questions. We've, we're pretty much on time, so we've got time to do that. If anybody has questions for me.
them to be helping to stay current on, on some of their workplace responsibilities. Yes, ma'am. We've got Kyle Mixlero. He'll yeah, but I think that is historically. It's just yeah, Libby can too. She'll be on the panel. Yeah. All right. Yeah. A lot of it's the history of the. There's Kyle is here now. He's all he's ready to go. Candace is ready. So uh, I think uh, while he's here, you've got your panels warming up. I think I'll take this as an opportunity to sit down and to uh, hear what everybody else got to say. Thank you very much for the Let's move directly to the, the first panel. 